Welcome back to another episode of Shanghai, the city that never eats. Shanghai is indisputably one of the world's culinary capitals. But do you remember that time when it went on a diet? And we're not talking about Atkins or keto here. I'm your host George Papavasiliou, and in this limited podcast series, I'll be chatting with people who experienced house arrest during Shanghai's month-long lockdown, and how they were getting, or more accurately, not getting food during that time. Think of this as creative protest, if you will. So take a seat, grab your favorite snack, and listen to us hangrily complain while trying to survive a real-life version of the Hunger Games. How do you get along with your neighbors? It's a pretty old question, and it's also the focus of today's episode. Like most people living in Shanghai, I rarely mingle with my neighbors, and most of our contacts usually unintentional. In my current home in Huangpu District, I live in a fairly small compound with only two apartment buildings. When I first moved in, I felt really lucky when I saw the spacious balcony, but that feeling faded immediately when I realized. The two buildings were actually facing each other and were only about 10 to 15 meters apart. Now this means that on any given day, you can easily see what any of your neighbors, 10 stories up or downwards, are doing in their living rooms. I hated the feeling that I was secretly being watched. A suspicion I might add that was later confirmed when someone in our community group chat actually singled me out, saying, "Oh, 好像我对面有一个老外，不知道他做没做核酸。” I can see a foreigner living across our apartment. Somebody go check if he's done his COVID test. Reading the message, I did a double take and quickly shut the curtains, feeling kind of grossed out at the nosy Nancys watching me. Fortunately, I had already jumped the gun when I sensed that the city was heading towards a lockdown, so I put in an express order for a privacy barrier made of dried reeds. It arrived a few days before the lockdown started. And when I went to put them out, I stood out on the balcony for a few moments with a smug expression on my face, thinking to myself, "Good luck spying on me now, suckers." That was when I met C. She was sitting on her balcony, a few floors lower, smoking a cigarette and enjoying the brief sunshine. I glanced at her for what was no more than a second, when she warmly smiled and waved at me. "Uh oh," I thought to myself. I reciprocated a smile automatically and waved back. By that point, I was in autopilot. Hey, how are you doing? We started talking, kind of yelling, really, as we were some distance apart. And she eventually asked if I wanted to go down and get a coffee before the impending lockdown. To my surprise, we ended up chatting for a few hours and walking several kilometers, coffee in hand. When we finally returned to the compound, we said our goodbyes, hoping that the lockdown would be over soon and that kind of thing. She beamed, saying, "Don't worry, I'll see you on the balcony." Sure, I replied sheepishly, embarrassed at the thought that she would soon see my new Trump-styled border wall come up later that night. And come up it did. I enjoyed several days of peace and quiet from prying eyes. Nearly a week in, however, it became really clear that the lockdown was not going to be a quick affair. Something that turned even messier when ordering basic food and groceries turned out to be impossible. I'd prepared a hoard of stuff, but many had not anticipated an extended lockdown and lacked basic supplies. I decided to check in on my new friend, and I sent a message asking about their current situation. And she told me that they were down to their last few packs of noodles and vegetables. 
I mean, despite the ambivalence I felt towards some of my other neighbors, I was actually quite concerned that access to food was a real issue for someone I knew. So I sent a box of vegetables that I'd ordered from a private channel nearby and had it delivered to their place instead. She thanked me profusely and promised that she and her roommates would invite me over for a posh dinner when it was all over. I didn't think anything of it and told her I was glad I could help. But man oh man were the gods of karma watching that day. Being suddenly forced to eat a lot of rice, pasta and bread actually left me feeling terribly constipated. So much so that to my absolute horror, after going to the bathroom one day, I flushed the toilet and instead of hearing the water being flushed out, I was greeted by rising water levels. And it became clear that if I dared to try it again, I would really regret it. So I stormed out, locked the door and told my flatmates, this bathroom is permanently out of order until further notice. This sent me on a dark spiral googling how to unclog a toilet, which, as you can imagine, is not how I wanted to spend my afternoon. Nothing worked. And I fell into a deep despair. Suddenly I thought about my neighbor and new friend. She had told me that one of her flatmates runs a tango studio out of the apartment, so I figured if they regularly have students going over, they must have run into the bathroom problem at some point. I sent her a message shyly asking if she had a plunger, and she quickly sent two words in reply. Hard poo? Question mark. I briefly considered blocking her and never stepping foot on the balcony ever again, and possibly even leaving China altogether, but having lived in China long enough, I knew that she was actually genuinely being thoughtful. Glancing at the locked bathroom door, I did not want to experiment with any other Google solutions, so I immediately replied, Yes, do you have one? A few minutes later, she texted me back saying they did. I swore I felt as though I had just won the lottery. Now the problem I hadn't considered was actually getting it. In Shanghai, the hard lockdown means you're not allowed to exit the doorway to your own apartment, with penalties being completely up to the neighborhood management team, the so-called wuye in Chinese. Our community had formed a group chat of nearly 500 people and were actively taking pictures of people caught committing any form of transgression, sending them out into the group chats like it was a scene from the Salem witch hunts. I felt an ominous sense of dread about going out, not because I was afraid to catch COVID, but rather, I was worried that the sight of a Lawai or a foreigner sneaking out of his apartment incognito would send them into a frenzy. Nevertheless, I was determined to save my toilet. My neighbor was in building two, and I was in building one. We would have to meet in the shared underground parking garage while trying to avoid detection. I told her we had to take care not to be seen together and asked her to leave it by the stairwell in the basement. We both took the stairs down as the elevators were not working at the time, and we arrived at roughly the same time. So without wasting a moment, I grabbed the plunger from her quickly thanked her, and we both rushed back to our respective apartments. You know, I really did hate feeling like I was running some kind of smuggling ring simply because I had taken a poop of the wrong size at the wrong time. Now, I'm not really sure if there's any moral to this story except uh, ingest enough fiber, stay hydrated, and probably most importantly, try to make friends with your neighbors. You really never know when you might need to borrow a plunger. With that being said, I want to welcome my neighbor C, this is pronounced C, but it's written S-E-A, like the ocean. And we can hear a little bit about how her life has unfolded during this lockdown. 
Hey, C. Hey. We're so glad to have you on the show. Why don't you just briefly introduce yourself for our listeners? First of all, thanks for inviting me to your podcast, and I'm very delighted to chat with you. My name is C, and I've been living in Shanghai for almost eight years. So I went to university in Shanghai in 2014, and between 2017 to 2018, I took two exchange study programs overseas. Uh, for the rest of time, I mainly stayed in Shanghai. Where originally are you from in China? So I come from Hunan province, Changde. Oh, Changde. Okay, so tell us a little bit about what you're actually doing in, in Shanghai. I quit my job last year as an English teacher teaching TOEFL and IELTS, but currently I'm learning hairdressing to pursue my dream as a hairdresser. Okay, so you're studying that right now? Yes, I started learning hairdressing in March, at the beginning of March. Only two weeks of studying then were locked down. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works? Because obviously when we think about hairdressing, it seems like a pretty hands-on experience. So how are you learning this online? Is it like your instructors are sending you a collection of YouTube videos or, or how does that work? Obviously, it's been a really hard time for me, at least, to practice what I've learned at the academy. I have to manage that at home. So frankly, I didn't do much practice in the lockdown because I just don't have the mood. And especially when you are not surrounded or accompanied by teachers, you are highly likely to make mistakes. So I've been telling myself that I'd better leave it there for a moment mm. and restart when I'm back to the school again. Yeah, and I guess the bad thing is your mannequin's hair doesn't regrow, does it? <laughs> <laughs> for the first mannequin, I cut it nearly, you, you can see the scalp. But for another one, I just look at it. Sometimes I will practice how to... You know how to grab the hair and I just fakely cut it but not really cut the hair. I just practice the posture, my position. As you said earlier that I watch tons of videos and tutorials online. Are you cutting any of your roommates hairs? Do they let you do that? I'm living with other two flatmates. I'm asking them or begging them to leave their hair for a longer time. And after two months, then the hair gets longer, then I can practice on them. And I'm very lucky to have them by my side. For company, right? I guess also yes. there's the thing about having someone there just to not be alone in the apartment for so long. Yes, just every morning you you see them and just a simple hello, hi, good morning. Actually, I don't say good morning now, it's good noon. Yeah, generally I wake up at like 11.30 mm -hmm. and then I will cook for two people and leave one portion. Yeah, I think that's um, that's been an important part of it. We're, we're four living in our apartment. So before anyone would eat whenever they wanted and don't really need to cook for the others unless kind of we're having like a Friday night dinner or something. But uh, this time around, I think it just made sense that we try to maximize the food that we have. So we always eat together no matter what every day, breakfast or lunch or dinner. Um, what, really? I guess we cut out one meal just for simplicity's sake, but um, we'll always eat breakfast and dinner together. 
Oh, that's nice. It just makes it easier. So we also don't have to cook several times. We use less ingredients and also we wash less dishes. God, we've been washing so <laughs> many dishes. I love washing dishes. Please come yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see today that um, our neighbor, 1201, I believe, was trying to give out free haircuts? Yes, yes, I saw that message. And several people actually said, oh, yeah, I'll come over. I realized that that idea when she said, OK, you can come upstairs. I was like, oh, that's probably not the best idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm willing to do it, actually, because I didn't follow. I didn't follow up the messages after but I definitely saw that first message. Mm. There was a lot of interest. Um, I know at least three people replied, oh, I would love to. But then finally someone said, listen, I appreciate that you're, you're trying to do something good, but I think it's a bit early to start doing this because we still have um, positive cases in yeah, the building. Sure. So why don't you tell us kind of a little bit about the community that we live in, in this compound? I'm new to this neighborhood. I moved in in the beginning of March. Frankly, I'm not quite familiar with the surroundings. Before lockdown, I just feel we are a very small community here with only two buildings in our Xiaochu, right? And I never had any acquaintance with other neighbors except my flatmates. And you are the very, very first one <laughs> that I, I got to know I'm and become friends. Yeah, <laughs> same here. But during this lockdown, obviously, we created our group chat. And for myself, I didn't have any personal contact with any of them. But through the chats, I could see all kinds of people, you know, and getting to know them. Somehow getting to know them by their words. You see some really warm-hearted people trying to help others but there are some people are just a little bit upset and make me feel a little bit uncomfortable can you give us an example like what what is one thing that that was said or that they they they, you came across in the group chat that kind of made you feel uncomfortable one thing that i can say I, i remember is that a few days ago when we were required to go downstairs to get a COVID test, right? And some people were just suddenly complaining about the process and start even blaming those volunteers or the Wuyi. And I, I understand that they are angry. I felt a little bit of the same way. And we did feel a little bit conflicted as well, like in our apartment, because on the one hand, um, you know, you they need to do the testing and you have these these doctors or medical staff who flew out from all over China. And you also have our management team who's only like, what, five or eight people? I don't even know. There's not that many of them. And you have the residents who are kind of like, oh, no, it's not safe. I'm not going down or they're going down later than they're told. And then there's a big lineup and then they blame it again on the management. Yeah, it's all about the temper management. I mean, everyone knows how hard it is right now. But they're just all over the place and lose control, you know. But, yeah. but the emotion thing is very contagious. I'm telling myself every day this calm down is okay. But once you saw the message, like popping up on the screen, I just feel, okay, that's enough. 
Yeah, some I'd, days it made me very upset to be in this in this um, group chat. Especially one thing that really upset me was the the kind of targeting of the group the group rentals because the owners of the apartments started calling out like, oh, we have the virus here because of these low class people, because of the group rentals. Look at them. They're like 20 people in one apartment. Of course, this is going to happen. We have to get these people out of here as soon as possible. And I was just wondering, I was like, well, you know, this group of people, at least for one of these apartments, I know they're the Kwaidi delivery people. So I was like, these people work so hard to get your packages to your doors in normal times, but when there's a crisis, it's like, oh, they don't belong here. We need to get them out of here as soon as possible. Yeah, totally. And some people just don't know how to appreciate what we have now. They're constantly asking for more and for better. While the truth is everyone is trying their best already. At least I can feel that. Besides our own little compound, what do you think of the current situation in Shanghai? And specifically, what do you think about the government's response? Mm, that's a big question. But frankly, I would say the government made mistakes for sure. They made huge mistakes. They overlooked some very important issues at the very beginning of this round of pan- pandemic. However, I'm not quite sure of the policy or the strategy we're doing right now. The whole city shut down. But on the other side, I can't understand why they're doing this because we have huge population. And I think government is trying to, quote, trying to see a bigger picture. I saw the news that the reason why we don't take the herd immunity is because if you say the death rate multiplied by our population, we just cannot take that death rate. And for me, if I am the one who can decide, what I'm going to do is separate people based on their immune system, not by age, because some senior people, they are healthy, healthier than me, right? This virus is attacking those who have weak immune system. And those people should be attended well. If we need to quarantine people, we need to quarantine or protect those who are weak. Yeah, I think this is the problem where there's kind of an impossibility because if on the one hand we kind of quarantine the people who are weak and compromised immune systems or other kind of conditions, how long do we have to wait until the the the, the healthy population and the virus that's circulating in them completely dies out? Like when do we release this group of weak immune people? It might be like six months, it might be a year, or like we're seeing in many foreign countries, actually the disease might become endemic, which is like it will be a normal disease like the cold. It will always be there. So in that case, it's impossible to do that as well, because like the cold, the government doesn't stop society for the cold because there's just too many cases and it will never go away. Even though old people die, weak people die, it happens in every country. So I think the the only kind of way that they can do this is either what they're doing right now to achieve zero COVID, which is Mm -hmm. very dangerous, obviously, because if there's one case in the future after we finish this lockdown, it means Mm -hmm. we're right back to the same place. Yeah, exactly. 
or they somehow have to really focus on treating the people who get sick and have some kind of very serious reaction, but they have to do that quickly. They have to have some kind of system in place where they do the vaccinations to everyone, especially the elderly population, and yeah. then have a very special department who focuses on treating the people who are with COVID very quickly and very effectively, rather than just be like, okay, we're admitting everyone who says they're sick with COVID, will admit them. No, we do not. If you do not have fever, if you do not have trouble breathing, we tell you go home. As soon as they have one out of three symptoms and their medical information is like this person had a heart surgery, this person was very sick before, okay, we have to treat them right away. They're priority number one. I feel like now, even if the government changes its mind, it seems almost as though the mentality or the psychological mindset of most people in China now is this is a deadly disease. I have to do everything in my power to avoid it. So it seems like even if the government shifted its policy overnight, the people's reaction would not follow that so quickly. It would need six months or a year of the government saying it's back to normal. Don't worry about the disease. It's just here and try to wash your hands and cover your mouth. Yes, yes, that's the point. You hit the point. I have a friend in Hong Kong and she told me that she already got the COVID for three times. She's 25. So Chinese people over the last two or three years, we've been told that the COVID thing is very serious and we should do everything we can to avoid being, being contaminated. Yeah, personally, and I think um, Shanghai, the municipal government is, they're panic, obviously. Mm. Yeah, on the one hand, they want to show they're doing great. On the other side, they are afraid to be you know, humiliated. Yeah, I think it's a little bit late yeah. for that, As, at least among Shanghai people. The response so far from what I've seen online on social media and people I know and people who are friends of friends of mine, the reaction has not been positive at all in such a way that I've never seen anything like it in China before. I've never seen this kind of organized pushback against the government on social media, because obviously this is not something that comes without its risks. But at this point, at least in Shanghai, I feel like the censors online are finding it hard to keep up with all these things popping up every second of every day, kind of criticizing the government or criticizing something that happened. Yeah. And many people compare Shanghai's lockdown with Wuhan's lockdown back in 2020. And many people agree that we are doing worse than what Wuhan did like three years ago when this COVID, COVID thing just started. And back that time, they had no experience and had no idea where this virus was. However, um, so I, I had this conversation with my friend a few days ago and they said that maybe it's because of the foundation of how this city works because Wuhan although it's also the capital city of Hubei province however compared to Shanghai Shanghai is a business center so we don't have a very solid foundation of the concept of community mm. or Juwei do you know Juwei yeah. But during this lockdown, you see how weak or how dysfunctional our Juwehui is. The biggest help we received yet is from Wuye. 
right? But Wuye, they have a commercial contract with us, basically. So they are doing much more than they should do, oh, basically. So I just can't imagine if we don't have those great Wuye. So I would say Zhui Hui is like a bridge, a bridge between the government and the people and the citizens. And the Zhui Hui is the most direct organization that people can reach to the government. I feel more close to Zhui Hui in my hometown. But in Shanghai, before this lockdown, I've never even noticed that, okay, we have a Zhui Hui. I think the problem that everyone was facing was not that the city was having a hard time controlling the the infection rate, because obviously I think people don't really understand much about that anyways. I think the thing that really pushed most people into a state of anxiety was the fact that they could not order food freely or they could not order food easily. So every few days you'd have to check, oh gosh, okay, we're down to our last few vegetables. What are we going to get tomorrow? And then start Mm -hmm. on this whole kind of complicated process of get on to, I don't know, different kind of apps and, and doing these kind of things. And I think that was one of the stressful things. I remember when you guys told me that hadn't stocked up on things, I kind of freaked out a little bit too, because I was like, oh, how are you guys going to order food now? It's so difficult. And the government didn't seem to be giving out things so regularly. Yes. Luckily, one of my flatmates silently stacked more food than I thought she had. So if I live alone, I probably have lost weight for 10 pounds (laughs) or even more. So thankfully, thankfully, um, we had enough food to get over this time. But still, I feel I'm super lucky. I mean, as an individual, because we have advantages over those senior people or Mm. who have a big, big family. You know, I can only imagine how hard it would be for them. And our generation didn't experience the war. And as a Chinese, I didn't experience the cultural revolution. However, this pandemic or this lockdown it helps me to expand my experience. I think you've touched on something very important, and this is a kind of deep psychological shift that has happened among people living in Shanghai specifically. Because if you think about Shanghai's position as a icon or as a symbol, it's at the top, the wealthiest city, the most developed, it has the most educated people, it's closest to foreign countries, there's a lot of companies here. It's kind of everything that China is trying to become and trying to emulate across the country. But also, it's one of the places now in recent history in China that suddenly did not have access to food over the course of like 10 or more days. Part of the population undoubtedly lived through the 1960s. If not as old people, then as children, they remember how difficult the 1960s were in China. Their children have no idea. Most people in Shanghai do not have any idea what it is to be be unsure about how to get supplies. Uh, it's kind of a, a historical lesson coming to haunt our modern life. Yes, and I suddenly became more empathetic. Now I can understand why my grandparents always stack food at home. You know, but without this lockdown experience, I think I would never understand why they're always doing this because previously I just thought it's so unnecessary. 
this kind of habit, I think it's not culturally specific. It's historically specific because um, a lot of people in Europe, they, especially for their parents' generation, you always have to have flour and oil and sugar in the house. These three things, because if anything happens, you can make something to survive for a long time if you need to. If you think about it, the other day, I think I spent, what, 220 renminbi for a pineapple, a bag of rice, and a a few (laughs) spring onions. Yeah. Yes, this is happening. So I think for many, maybe some of the population, they'll be very quick to kind of throw it at the back of their mind. But I think this thing doesn't only apply to China. It's kind of like food security today is is a very big issue and for a lot of us we we kind of just take for granted one of the perks of living in shanghai is that you always have anything you want to eat or drink at your fingertips in less than 30 minutes but that's not reality this is kind of a something that works when everything else works as soon as everything else stops working this thing is gone in a minute so I do think it's going to make people think a little bit more about how they eat and how we can get our food and about food security in general. In a way, like you mentioned, I think it does make you reconsider your place um, and how you live and how society is structured. Yeah, absolutely. Especially for younger generation, because we are the ones who will manage this society in the coming future. And um, this experience will largely expand our knowledge and our feelings and the spectrum of our concern, I would say, either for individual growth or societal advance. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I hope one lesson that comes out of this is that people understand a little bit more clearly just how important China's manpower is. And when I when I say manpower, I mean the army of delivery people and logistics people who make this country work because without them, this you country right. shuts down tomorrow. There's you are right. nothing yes. the country can do without these people. Yes. So I personally would like to see better protections for, for YMI drivers, for delivery mm. people, because I think Obviously, these these people are doing their best to be able to give us these services that we need. Actually, that that's linked to our whole system. You know, maybe it's a great opportunity for us to examine, not for us, obviously for those who are capable of, you know, making a difference to our society to examine how our system. What? Well, thanks so much. See, I really, really appreciated this conversation. I think we covered a lot and it made me reconsider a little bit about how the lockdown is as well. You're an amazing guest to have. And I look forward to having more conversations with you across the balcony. Yeah, you too. And I'm looking forward to have our adventure on the rooftop. Yes, yes, I hope so. Okay, bye. Bye. All right, well, that's all for this episode, but don't worry because we have new intriguing anecdotes and adventures coming out each week to keep you sane and entertained. If you did like this episode, please leave us a rating and give us a shout out on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Better yet, share it on social media or any WeChat groups you're in. Likewise, if you have any thoughts or questions for us, or if you have a great story you'd like to tell us about your wild lockdown experiences, please leave a review because we'd love to hear about it. Catch you next time and stay hungry, Shanghai. A Talkomatic Media Production.